Thank you for being with us today and making the choice to be inspired. You are listening in to Women We Watch in Tourism podcast series, where we bring in women thought leaders and change makers from across the world. In this platform, we discuss women leaders' professional and entrepreneurial journeys on becoming more visible, breaking glass ceilings, and transforming organizations and communities. This is the first platform that provides a space for women in the tourism industry to leverage collective wisdom, experiences, and inspiration from women powerhouses. I'm Nisha, founder of World Women Tourism, and with me, my co-host Zeno Doshi, founder of Flap Alive. We are grateful and inspired by all the remarkable women we have connected with and interviewed in season one and two. We look forward to another season, season three, where we focus on minority women and women of color. These women are shaping a new narrative daily and they demonstrate that anything is possible with grit, tenacity, authenticity, and purpose. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget to share our conversations with your friends on Instagram or LinkedIn to inspire and empower. Happiness is a common aspiration of humanity and perhaps the aim of human existence. In Bhutan, the last Shangri-La Gross national happiness is the guiding principle of everything that is and promotes a holistic and sustainable development. The monarchs of Bhutan manifest compassionate leadership, embodying the Buddhist values of happiness, compassion, and wisdom, placing the well-being of the people and environment at the forefront. The revered Dalai Lama once said that when we are motivated by compassion and wisdom, the results of our actions benefit everyone, not just our individual selves or some immediate convenience. In this episode, we meet a very special human being, this lovely Chimi Zangmo from Bhutan, a leader who is driven by the guiding principles of compassion, wisdom, and authenticity in managing both her professional and personal life. Chimi is the CEO and founder of Dorji Elements, a boutique hotel in the capital of Bhutan, Timpu. Along with her husband, she initiated Drip Pro Bhutan, a social enterprise promoting the expressions of creative people through functional and aesthetically designed products. She had previously worked with the Department of Revenue and Customs Ministry of Finance and also with Drip Holding and Investments, the sovereign national wealth creation entity of the country. She currently volunteers as Executive Director of Vars Bhutan, a 23-year-old civil society organization that provides artists and youth opportunities to develop artistic talents. Naturally, in her free time, Chimmy loves her painting and trekking with Trekkers 360 degree. I invite you now to listen in to my heartwarming conversation with Chimmy Zangmo from the Land of Happiness. A very good day to you, Chimmy, and it's so lovely to connect with you. And, you know, just connecting with you earlier, I'm starting to miss Bhutan. So how are you and Bhutan doing? I'm doing fantastic. 
despite the arts, despite the pandemic, despite the lockdown. And uh, I'm very flattered to uh, be with you. It's been a number of years that we have not uh, met physically, but I've followed your work, uh, Nisha, and you're doing some wonderful work and uh, getting engaged with so many, so many noble projects and uplifting um, spirit and life of a lot of women and humanity. Thank you, thank you, Jimmy. And and I've also been following your work with, you know, especially Vasvatan, and I'll, I'll come to that. And domestic tourism, I see you have been doing quite a fair bit of domestic tourism. So where was your latest and what were you doing? Oh, my latest, I love the mountains, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm truly a Highland girl. All right. Um, so um, any chance that I get uh, to, be, to be up in the mountains? I was uh, recently, my husband, Karmati, he said, let's, let's, let's just go to, uh, to Laya. That's like the north, uh, northern mm -hmm. part of uh, Bhutan. Mm -hmm. And this is my third trip. And um, each trek that I do, um, it is always, even if it is the same route, uh, like how, how life is, mm. it, even if the path is the same, the, uh, the moments are, are different, the mood, the atmosphere, right. and the steps that you take is, is incremental, small steps, but... Uh, you have a destination that you know that there is one, but I think the journey is always important. Absolutely. And Laya has been absolutely wonderful. Um, yes, I, I, from all my tracks, I am always uh, re-energized and contemplating and appreciative of, mm. of the vibrancy of life. Right. And I think every corner that you turn to in Bhutan is a postcard. And every little terrain that you see has a story to tell, isn't it? That's so beautiful in Bhutan. It is. It is. Um, uh, we do have our cracks and our scars, um, but by the blessings of uh, a grand vision and the policies that is there and uh, uh, to preserve our environment, mm. um, there's this overarching um, uh, philosophy in our development. Mm. And that is, uh, the environment needs to be preserved. The culture needs to be preserved. Absolutely. And uh, without stopping on, uh, on modern development and without uh, being curtailed into, uh, into uh, a very, very small boxes um, <laughs> in very conventional sense. But at the same time, the overarching principle has served us very well um, the, the overarching philosophy of uh, preservation of our environment, preservation of our culture. So we are blessed. We are blessed that way. You are. You are. And and you know, I of course, the whole world is intrigued by the notion of cross national happiness. You know, it's the guiding principle of everything that is done in Bhutan, and that's the first thing that struck me on my very first visit and every visit that I make because it promotes something very holistic, you know, and a sustainable form of development where I think the leaders and, and everyone else plays the well-being of the people at the forefront. And, and, you know, may I ask you this, have the guiding tenets of the GNH influenced the type of leadership that you adopt when you run uh, Dorji Elements or as an executive director of Vast Bhutan, because 
um, the, the term, you know, compassionate leadership tends to describe the form of approach that is being in Bhutan. And do you resonate with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, I have to, um, I consider myself uh, a practicing Buddhist now, born in a, born in a Buddhist country. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of like um, inherit Buddhism. But uh, over the past four years, I'm also practicing Buddhist, I should say. Um, so, yes, it definitely has shaped uh, shaped uh, the way I approach life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it comes from the deep, uh, deep values of what Buddhism is, mm-hmm. um, what Buddhism um, wants us to find ourselves, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we call our our leadership uh, dharma dharma leaders. Right. And you have to understand this. It is not. Uh, I do not make points uh, out of religion, but out of uh, the way of life and philosophy right. of living life. Right. That's right. So I resonate with uh, compassion and okay. wisdom that mm-hmm. comes deep from. Um, deep from the Buddhist values, mm-hmm. uh, Buddhist mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not want anybody to misunderstand that I'm promoting Buddhism out here. Sure. Uh, but I can only share things that I experience and what I practice right. and what I'm surrounded with. And it has worked uh, well, well, the Buddhist values of uh, compassion and wisdom. Right. So and yes, that's really what in, in a spiritual uh, approach is all about. It's not religious, but a very spiritual uh, where there's a higher meaning and a higher transcendence, you know, it's beyond us, isn't it, when it comes to such forms of leadership? It's not about you anymore. And it's also spiritual, yes, higher meaning, yes, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, the Buddhist values of uh, wisdom and compassion. Yes. It's very practical. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most practical. Mm-hmm. Nisha, we mm-hmm. must know this that when we start embracing compassion and wisdom and mm-hmm. integrating this in the way we live life mm-hmm. and we have it as habitual patterns in through the different methods and practices, mm-hmm. if we start having it, you can apply this without even you knowing that you're applying in it. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. comes from something that we must understand that is not only the the a very lofty uh, utopian kind of ideal, mm-hmm. but it's also very, very practical for the moment, right. for where you're living mm-hmm. in, in the relative world. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I do resonate, and I'm so grateful for our Dharma kings that we call. And when we say mm-hmm. Dharma kings and our leadership, yeah. um, we mean to say uh, the kings who are seeking the truth, no? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with uh, just um, trying to uh, impose something on uh, the citizens. You're right. But right. it is something to do with the, to always seeking the truth. And the truth, the methods of the truth comes from compassion and wisdom. Absolutely. And, and our kings and our queen, they embody this. Right. Embody mm. compassion and wisdom, right. integrated is together, uh, working for uh, selflessly, and mm. when this, when when it is when it is taken into account at the highest level, mm. 
you cannot not be influenced. Right. And I'm sure you sense this a lot more during the COVID, you know, whether you're leaders uh, or even yourself, right? How did this surface and how important was this form of either compassionate or empathetic leadership to support your employees and, and other players in the in the supply chain during this very difficult period? Yes, definitely. You should see the way um, His Majesty um, let the, the handled handled and managed the entire COVID situation um, with uh, amazing sense of uh, sense of humanity right at the core mm. and with compassion, backed by science mm. and evidences mm. and courage. Mm. So this has been exemplary. You know, yeah. this is something that we've been really blessed and to um, to have um, His Majesty's wisdom mm. really be the North Star for us, right. the guiding and then to bring people um, to give assurance uh, to 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 all of us mm. Mm. and to unite us and mm. and to bring um, us to be resilient. Um, yeah. Of course, we did have differences amongst ourselves, and that happens in any any um, any um, country or even in a small household. You know, the children different. We are all different, but the trust that we had mm. and we have for our king mm. is because he it stems from so much compassion mm. Mm. and the well-being for his people. Right. You see, and not just compassion, we also know that his wisdom is at such a level You're that right. we know we, it, ha, it is not just sweeping decisions that he's making, but very analytical. Right. Uh, assessed, uh, well sure. done. You know, yes, that yes. these must have also influenced you as a leader, you know, while managing uh, the quarantine, um, you know, or, or the whole COVID situation, you know. So I, I want to ask you something, you know, well, Every nation had to deal with uh, their own targeted response to the COVID outbreak. But um, many research out there found that countries led by women fared significantly better than those led by men. In fact, uh, the Center for Economic Policy Research and the World Economic Forum found that male-led countries have seen nearly double the number of COVID-19 deaths as compared to women-led countries. So uh, they, they have found that women's very carefully considered and coordinated approach in dealing with the crisis. And, you know, and Bhutan went through uh, several lockdowns and I'm sure, you know, jobs were lost, income was lost. So, and, and your hotel was a quarantine facility as well. So share with me your experiences as a women leader, you know, of a hotel during the crisis. Um, Nisha, 
the, the, the numbers and the evidences that you are providing is uh, like um, the countries where women were leading, these countries did uh, much more better in managing the COVID. Uh, am I correct? You have read it in some of this, this uh, well-published uh, articles and uh, books. Yeah. Uh, because let me tell you, Nisha, um, mm -hmm. I... We can only make, I can only make assessment of things of what I have experienced, right? Um, and what sure. I see, and I really cannot validate it with uh, with mm. any kind of uh, evidences or articles mm. that will, mm. that uh, um, most people would like to, um, you know, to authenticate things and to say things, right. uh, you need validations. Um, but however, however, I do believe one thing, Nisha, mm -hmm. that um, uh, Bhutan has uh, Bhutan was not led by uh, um, uh, a woman, and right. we did extremely well in managing the COVID. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Having said that, if your uh, assessment or your the articles that you read um, gives you uh, assurance that women-led countries did better, mm. I, will, I will have to probe this question back to you. Mm. Do you think so? It is because of the, more because of the feminine energies uh, that was, that is naturally there for women. Mm. And, and when I reflected uh, back to my own country mm. and how His Majesty has been able to really um, managed this whole COVID situation so mm. gracefully, with so mm. much dignity and with so mm. much wisdom and mm. compassion. Mm. It's my, it's my, in a very philosophical way, mm. um, just, um, it's my contemplation mm. that it has to do with being able to bring out the feminine energies. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. Brilliantly said, yeah. So I feel if we, we are in an era where um, where it is absolutely necessary that both male and female are just formed, but all male and female have this energies within us. Mm -hmm. Being born as a woman, we mm -hmm. have this natural more probabilities of invoking the feminine energies, which mm -hmm. is passion, empath empathy, you know, inclusivity, uh, resilience, and the the masculine energies are more of like drive to defend mm -hmm. to protect mm -hmm. to protect. Right. Um, there's a certain level of aggression, right? Which is right. Which, are, which are not all bad attributes actually, but mm. what, where, and when it is needed, that is Absolutely. very. Important. Mm -hmm. So I see that if 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 any country, if I wish there would there were studies done on this not on male or female forms, but more on what kind of personality that, and when you look deeper into the personalities, you will see that if they've handled well, mm. it could be because the world needed more compassion, more inclusivity, mm. the, the, the ability to be fluid, which comes from more from the feminine energies. Feminine energy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And if a man, if a man, Invoke the feminine energies. Mm -hmm. You get me? Oh, I, 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 it's a very, um, I, I might sound abstract, mm -hmm. 
Hmm. But uh, I feel when a male form can invoke their own feminine energies, wow. mm-hmm. they will be able to be better leaders, I feel. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> How about that? So I guess my king, mm. our king in Bhutan, mm. has this innate ability to be able to invoke his the, wow. the, the feminine energies and yes. that's where the humanity, inclusivity, fluidity, oh. resilience, embracing all right. these factors are taken into consideration, no? Mm-hmm. So beautifully said. And I think every time I come there, that's what I experience. Even if the, if the male energy comes out of me, the moment I land in Bhutan, the feminine energy starts to take over in me, you know, and it lasts for a long time when I come back. And you're absolutely right about that. Nisha, we have forgotten as women, we have got so much more, the, uh, the, we have both masculine and the feminine, but we have been drilled in our head to say, pull up your pants, put on your pants, oh, yes. uh, as if we must, you know, um, mm. we, we in this day and age, in an era when there used to be, uh, when protection was needed, when aggressiveness to a certain level was needed, mm. uh, maybe the masculine energies was necessary mm. but what now with technology mm. now with this one the wisdom part of a woman is is the key factor and which what uh in all kinds of leadership if this is invoked compassion and wisdom part of it is invo- invoked mm. uh, the leadership becomes much better it, Absolutely. it's more holistic. Yeah. yeah, and then I think- coming to nisha coming to the part of uh, doji elements leading mm. Me leading, it's not got to do with me being just a woman, hmm. but I guess it comes from this deeper values of uh, Buddhist uh, values itself. Oh, wow. hmm. And uh, seeing uh, when in, in Bhutan, um, the first case happened in March 6th hmm. and um, we shut it down quickly and hmm. we offered, Doji Elements was one of the first hotels to offer it uh, to the government uh, as they quarantine center uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, this was a very um it looked like my husband was saying to me what a spontaneous decision and i was telling this is not a spontaneous decision mm. because i've had it those elements is in a location is in a very prime location yes it is and, and very good uh, parking area mm. and uh, not uh, not too crowded either mm. um but it's always been in my head, Anisha, that mm. if my country goes through a crisis, Doji Elements will be offered as a relief center. Wow. But I didn't know anything about the COVID, but I used to think about the glove, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> climate change issues and things like that. If ever, if ever. So that's why I was telling my husband, tea, come tea, it was not a spontaneous decision. It was mm. always in my head. So it became easy for me to just offer it, you know. It's very intuitive in you. Yes. And these intuitions just don't come like that. You you would be thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. Uh, Otherwise, it's not a rational decision either, right? Right, right. So it it came out. And also because, yes, I have a property. If I have, if, if. If the country goes through a glove situation or something like that, kind of thing, those elements is always going to be offered as a, as a, as a relief center. So when sure. the government was announcing they will require um, hotels as combat, uh, as a COVID combat strategy, mm-hmm. um, I found it very uh, 
rational and mm. very practical. And mm. uh, because uh, by design, hotels have uh, uh, toilets in the in each room, mm. which mm. is a quarantine facility. Um, a quarantine facility to be successful needs to um, needs to be the the people need yeah. to be compliant to it, right? Yes. And the, the most basic fundamental thing is that there should be a toilet. Yeah. If there is, then the compliance will be better. Mm. Um, so hoteliers really did come around. Yeah. We, uh, we offered our hotels and then um, I cannot imagine um, if quarantine stations were not hotels, but okay. if it was schools or in tents and camps, the outbreak could have been much more earlier. Mm. And the mm. variant which should have caused a lot of catastrophe uh, and casualties um, for in, in Bhutan. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. So this one was really um, a very good strategy that the government uh, uh, decided that hotels will, will be mobilized as quarantine hotels. Mm. Hoteliers came forward to uh, with so much solidarity mm-hmm. and offered their hotels and the only thing that the hotels uh, requested was fund for the preparation of food. Mm. Rest, mm. Everything was free, free of charge. The property was free of charge, you know. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. The utilities, uh, uh, the utilities like the electricity, um, they, it was provided free by the utility company, yeah. the telecom yeah. company. So the country really came about. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. I mean, this is, it shows your your the magnanimity of your heart, but as well as you know your head. You know, you're so much of clarity as to when it comes to an emergency, you want to stick yourself out there and say, "I'm there to to help a situation," you know, like that of a crisis. So, hats off to you. you Thank know. you. ask you about you know I, I've noticed that during this lockdown when um, when tourism was rather slow you had engaged yourself in something really exciting your art and you know your drug pro I, I want to speak to you about your capacity as an executive director of Vance Bhutan an organization that empowers artists and communities through art um, the organization provides art education, philanthropy through art, and is also a hub for contemporary art. So your passion and your involvement in VAS, can you share a little bit more on how this helps in the sustainability and empowerment of the society? And the next thing I wanted to ask you is about how VAS actually helps in the support and empowerment of women in Bhutan. Okay. All right, Nisha, this, um, my involvement with Vas Bhutan is, or the arts, um, uh, is not because when COVID happened. Mm-hmm. It is much, much when I was a teenager, a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. uh, who was as rebellious as... Your daughter's ever. age now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, I can... I, it's a very personal story, actually. And um, uh, previously, I used to shy away from telling this personal story. But uh, if I'm on a podcast, it, uh, Please do. There, are people, <laughs> there are people who are going to listen to it. Uh, yeah. The purpose of people listening to it is um, 
I guess uh, for, for listeners uh, to for 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 the speaker to be as uh, you know as um, I realize that to be authentic and share authentic. your yes. personal experiences and yes. so so I I must say that um, when my father passed away he passed away as a martyr and uh, I was just 13 years old and uh, we were in uh, in the southern belts of the country and um, so when we came up um, the fourth king he uh, because he. he we were taken care of by the fourth king. So where Doji Elliman stands today is uh, is um, is is the land, and uh, there was a house uh, that was provided by uh, as a kidu. We call it kidu um, to our family, mm. and we were taken care of by His Majesty. And but as I was growing up. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful. I cannot imagine um, in any other country if you'll be taken care of like that. and at the same time, um, m- my mother was not doing too well as uh, somebody who had three young uh, girls to look after. Mm. And uh, I-, I was just a teenager. And so there was very turbulent times at home. Mm. Mm. So then when this uh, uh, very complex and complicated and turbulent times and uh, uh, I thought the world was collapsing. Mm. Uh, I miss my father dearly every day. Right. Uh, I'll blame everything on everything else. Um, then I, then my very good friend, Karmati, mm. uh, he introduced me to uh, to Vaspatan. He said, okay. um, "You must, you must go to the Clockter. You know the Clockter area, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there is a building, and then up in the attic, there's a very fine man, you know, who yes. engages the young people in artistic. Uh, this one, it's so I just popped in there, and then I was uh, I was introduced, and then I found kindness. Um, so that happened to be uh, the founder's own space, his mm-hmm. own art art studio, mm-hmm. and uh, where he and his uh, another f- uh, three of his friend, uh, two of his friend artists, they had started. Uh, organization with which was oh, okay. one year old called Vaspatan. Yeah. And that was for just young people to come around, mm-hmm. a safe space to channel mm-hmm. their energies. Mm-hmm. And they being artists, they just started very organically um, with, with their time and within their capacities, you know, right. Right. embraced uh, young people to come around. Um, engage them in programs, artistic uh, engagement, you know, mm-hmm. uh, creative engagements. And we did a lot of Vaspatan was um, one of the pioneers in uh, um, all this cleaning campaigns, litter, mm-hmm. uh, all, all those things. And then we did a lot of projects, uh, small, small projects, but you know, small, smaller projects. And it kept, kept us engaged. And nobody asked us what is happening in your house, what is it? but kept us engaged through this art programs, mm-hmm. not necessarily making us an artist, you know, mm-hmm. a pressure to become an, like an excellent artist. Yeah, then right. now on the inside, I realized that this way, art was involved, was a method to keep us mm-hmm. socially engaged, um, uh, meaningfully engaged, mm-hmm. channel our energies. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that kept a lot of our young boys and girls 
mm-hmm. out of trouble. And that is the greatest tangibility. I keep telling my founder, when he tells me, uh, Vasputan has not done much, you know, mm-hmm. tangible things. Correct. I said, Aja, you look at us. Aja means uncle, you know. Correct. Aja, Mama, you look at us. Mm-hmm. You have saved so many young boys and girls. Right. Out of uh, social ills. Yes. Given us hope, you know, yes. that there is kindness. Mm-hmm. And you, and then like, like um, bees, we flocked because there was food, he used to cook us food. Mm-hmm. They'll always, so Vaspatan has a, a very interesting culture of food, you know, mm-hmm. there's food and how, how youth flock to food, you know, how yeah. <laughs> right. Right. This is not patronizing at all. It looks like there is no no one going to say anything to you. We're very fluid, fluid, very fluid. So yes, uh, so that's why I'm deeply and passionately involved with us because mm-hmm. I believe that I still they, because this is a continuous process right. as long as human beings are living. There's right. always going to be a lot of people who will be suffering and who will who will be you know. Um, yes. But then how do we? Uh, create platforms and a safe space and creative spaces. Right. Do you see a lot of women coming in there? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Me. Right, of course. <laughs> right, now, right now, the executive committee is, uh, committee is filled with this old, uh, older, the, our, our batch, you know, uh, and right. uh, three younger, and they're all working in very good positions. Right. One is the uh, OAG IT head. The other right. one is OCC IT head. The other one uh, is working in, uh, we used to work in a very good NGO, Bhutan mm-hmm. Foundation. Mm-hmm. So there are many of us who who right now give a voluntary time uh-huh. and uh, okay. energy back because we have been recipient of this kindness and uh, mm-hmm. and that kindness which was which was, which was not just like pay it forward now right you were the recipient of such kindness and it's now time to pay it forward yeah, yeah. not just a kindness which was just just like but also empowered us through a lot of these programs and projects that helped us shape the way we are right now, you know? Okay. You've managed mm-hmm. to Vaspatan a lot. Mm-hmm. How many? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying, when I thought about uh, Doji elements, or it's going to, when it becomes a crisis, uh, when, a, when a country becomes a crisis moment, this mm-hmm. has to be something deep-rooted, no? So mm-hmm. you see, it's a very, our brain doesn't work with just our mind or brain or heart. It, it doesn't work uh, by thinking, oh, I'll do this. It has to be deep-seated and it has to be a collective thing that is hovering inside of you in your, in your DNA, mixing Absolutely. it all like, like our Like our leadership with yeah. so much compassion and example that, that is being led. Our right. DNA philosophy, that is the overarching thing over my, my, my influence and um, my impact through VAST and being with VAST projects. So mm-hmm. all these things together, together, Nisha, yeah, yeah, nice. What nice. is called an intuition, I guess, like what you're saying. Yeah. So the intuition just doesn't come like that. It has to be deep rooted. Mm. So I take, I give credit to all this, 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 the whole atmosphere that I was in, mm. and also sometimes, I guess I got lucky because it was there. Yeah. And that's how your life gets shaped up sometimes, you know. Yes. And what yes. Again. Yeah. Oh, and now, you're, now you're feeling the responsibility to also, you know, impact lives 
through yes, your work at Vasputana. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a not a matter of not just being responsible. I, it's a continuous process for me. It has to be a continuous, it has to be a continuous process. I just don't do it because I need to feel um, oh, good about it. Mm-hmm. Not about that anymore. I need it, Nisha. Right, right. I need it still. I should be honest about this. I still need um, what I do. What I do is Mm -hmm. not for just, um, it may look selfless. Oh, yes, voluntary service. But at the end of the day, I I gain out of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jimmy, in all my trips that I've come to Bhutan, I've come across so many amazing, powerful, empowered women, you know. Um, but, of course, the research also shows otherwise that uh, there was a, a research by the Department of uh, Cottage and Small Industry that shows that only 35% of the total micro, small, medium enterprises in Bhutan is owned by women. You know, and, and most of them actually operate very small enterprises compared to, to the male. And in fact, the Global Gender Gap Report ranked Bhutan 103 out of 104 countries in terms of economic participation and opportunity uh, for women. And kind of a little disappointing statistics, you know, but I, I want to get your opinion on that. Can you share from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges facing women-owned businesses in Bhutan? So Nisha, I must uh, again um, uh, because I'm not an academician, so sure. I really go, do not go through statistics, and I my basis are always so it could be you know it cannot be foolproof or uh, when I make my assessments is not based on statistics. Uh, sure. If you've done your study, um, mm. but from what I see and with people that I and wh- whatever surrounding that shapes the way uh, the way. Uh, I perceive things. Okay, sure. So, so I'm going to give you um, challenges uh, for women-owned business. Uh, it's divided into two parts. I feel mm. my 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 experience: the urban setting and the rural setting. If you actually, if the studies have been done, probably if they could dive deeper into urban and rural. Uh, urban meaning here, like uh, Thimpo, Paro, Punakha, you will see that women, you will see most, Nisha, you, 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 most of the business businesses are held by uh, women, you know, yeah, even, the yeah. even the, all the groceries that you will run through in, uh, um, in, in uh, Thimpo. In the Changlam area, mm-hmm. um, all the all mostly the all the fashionable stores and uh, you know all this imported this one, women are in the urban settings. They are the one. They are the ones who started, of course, and 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 also in some of the sectors like in the construction. Also, you will see. But the hospitality and tourism industry flooded with women. All right. Okay. Uh, is it small, medium businesses or large businesses? I don't know what is categorized that. I don't know where does Doji Element stand, Nisha? Is it a uh, large? It's a small boutique hotel. Right? Yeah. It's a boutique hotel. Right? So you yeah. some of these bigger hotels and all. The owners yeah. are are um, women. Oh. Now, having said that, and that is because uh, I do not see um, really that there is a uh, cultural or a, or. A, um, anywhere in the law that restricts mm. but the subtleties are there mm. and this is not only for Bhutan but uh, 
uh, it's a classic example for women to be nurturers at home, no? Mm. So I think that pulls uh, a lot of women away uh, from taking entrepreneurial or, you know, to start off businesses. And and usually you'll not see men saying no to a woman not to do your trading business or, mm-hmm. or, or a construction business. Also, although it's a very, um, very tasking thing, the construction sector, but mm-hmm. hospitality and tourism, you will see. All right. Now, that is for the urban setting, but the rural setting, rural mm-hmm. setting, there is, there is a segment where, uh, there, not the, not a segment. I mean, the culture does pull. Uh, the the geographical locations, mm. um, the terrains, are a big hindrance for women. Mm. I don't think so. It is more because uh, the society does not allow, but mm. more because, like for the recent uh, trek that I went up uh, to Laya, um, there was a canteen run by a woman with two little girls. Mm very uh, in a blue tent she was preparing noodles and uh, uh, with her two two little girls running all around and then I was amazed mm. wow this woman husband was nowhere in sight of course mm. must have gone to get the get the items from Thimpu I don't know I do not know I didn't ask mm-hmm. but watching her mm. I found that it's very rare it's rare in, in a remote place remote. In mm-hmm. under a tent, you know? Right, right. Uh, and then I realized that it, and then she was explaining, then I just, I observed, I observed like how harsh and bitter she had become. Mm-hmm. She was um, the, the, the horse herders who were uh, plying that road and sitting down and will, will make uh, commands at her or, and then she, before somebody says, how, how, you know how we can be defensive without anybody saying anything because mm-hmm. of circumstances. Yeah. So she has become like that. So yeah. before a guy, before the horse herder or the or the bolero driver who came to drop off uh, uh, people in that uh, area, uh, she was she was like, mm-hmm. your 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 uh, calculation for this noodle is this much, and you eat this, and now you can you know <laughs> she used foul language and she but. I, but I had empathy for her because right. on a daily basis, she must be having a tough time. Then I got a bit of talking to her and asking her, um, what about your water source here? Say so it's mm. difficult. I have to go all the way up to the jungle to fix the mm. pipe. Um, then, my, then my husband has to get the, you know, shopping from there. And sometimes they're not there. And I have to do this. And my two girls are here in the canteen. Yeah. So... It is because of the terrain and the difficulties and the right. that not many women uh, are are doing the right. doing okay. business. I see it that way. All right. So it's I not really gender specific, but no, generally there are challenges within nowhere, Bhutan. Nowhere, Nisha, nowhere. But these are not Bhutan specific, Nisha. I think as women, we all know that uh, education has empowered us. For yeah. me, when, I, when I'm up on a track, for me, as long as I have my phone and my Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get things done. Mm. All I know, all, all I I know that my coordination, my managerial skills are this one. As long as I can communicate, mm. 
And this is possible because of technology right now. Right. Because of my education and right. because of my understanding. One thing that I do have to say is that uh, women to do larger scale businesses, um, I think this also not, not Bhutan specific, but women have to be to a certain level, be able to understand finance and accounts. Right. And this is it. Otherwise, uh, as long Bhutan itself, in Bhutan itself, it's not the laws, it's not the the society which is going to pull you down. But right. I think it's important that uh, women have to take interest, even if it is boring, the mm. account and finance, if you see. For mm. me, I love my Excel sheet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I crunch my numbers and then I this one. And um, I did my uh, this one in uh, my bachelor's in uh, commerce. Uh, oh, okay. So that helps, you know? Yeah. All yeah. this helps. And yeah. I worked yeah. in, in the government, in the Department of Revenue and Custom. Right. So, People can't take me for granted. I have an accountant. I think that that gave you your strength, you know, in financial literacy. And that's why I think it really helped you succeed in what you're doing at the moment. Amazing. Amazing. You know, to me, it's like when I come there, uh, I've seen you, I watched you, um, the way you run your business. And I've heard uh, from many people uh, whom I've met and how they they are inspired by you. They look up to you. And that's why. (laughs) Yes, of course. You know, and and that's why I really, really wanted you on this show, because your narrative is an inspiration to, like I said, when you authentically share your narrative, you are inspiring so many people out there, whether it's Bhutanese or otherwise, so many other women mm-hmm. are listening in. But I want to ask you, who is that one woman that you watch and whose qualities that you look up to? But I have taken inspiration yeah. from my grandmother, uh-huh. my mother's mother. What's about her? She was Harishchandra Raja, you know. Ah, <laughs> explain <laughs> that. <laughs> You know, in the the Indian, um, Epic, uh, yeah. yeah, the feeble, um, yeah. the Raja who was so generous and compassionate. Yes. So, and my my grandmother, my she was a true artist at heart. Ah. Uh, but she, I was just uh, fifteen years old when she passed away. Mm. But I have. Uh, she didn't mentor me. Right. But something that is that is deep and made, made, a, made an impression mm. is her kindness, compassion, and right. to be authentic. Right. And to and in and to be that you have to be courageous. Mm. Mm. Don't worry about what other people are going to think about you. You're right. So to just be. So in a way, yes. Uh, when I think about it, mm. um, my mentor is Ajakarma without him being a mentor. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental of really that deep kindness um, to be genuinely you and mm-hmm. to have courage, um, live life the way you want to, was my grandmother. Wow. And I think that's a, that kind of the reflection that we see in you too. 
you know, for the same qualities that you admire. I think a lot of people admire you for the, the similar qualities as well. So amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Such beautiful words yeah. that I'm hearing from you. It's a lot of reflection that's happening in my head. <laughs> and, and Julie, tell me, what, what is it one takeaway that you want our listeners to get from this episode and or your experience? I really, um, you cannot compromise with your authenticity. Mm. You mm. cannot. Mm. And for having to do that, you have to question yourself. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, when you think you have the answers, then you deconstruct all of it again. Mm. And, um, and when you're doing that, uh, you will realize, I think, that we, we as human beings, we tend to, whatever we are doing, we want to prove our existence. Mm-hmm. And while doing so, we become solid. That solidity is so essential. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've come to a point, Nisha, mm-hmm. where fluidity is the most important form. So amazing words. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so deep. It, it, it's really very deep, the, the whole idea of being fluid. Um, yes. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to put in the show notes how people could reach out to you if they want to to speak to you or, or anything else that they want to take on with you. But, you know, as I converse with you, I, I get this such a nostalgic feeling like I have to get back to Bhutan. And I, I've told my people there, you know, when the borders open, I got to be the first one to enter <laughs> the airport. I'll have you and um, my doji elements will be up and ready. And, you know, of course. with the, with the entire staff uh, remobilized and, uh, and with, a lot of creativity, like you mentioned earlier. I hope. Um, yeah. We must, we must uh, take care, take care, uh, be creative. Uh, very, um, really thinking about the the safety and the well-being of uh, yes. the people who want to come to Bhutan and heal yeah. and reflect. Certainly, certainly. I think that if there's one thing that the COVID has taught us is the need to heal ourselves and the world, the need to be away from crowds, the the need to feel compassion and to be compassionate. You know, all these things that we are seeking, I believe it's found in right in Bhutan. And I think Bhutan, we seek. (laughs) And I'll seek you when I come there. And, you know, and uh, I'm so grateful. Amazing. And we can't, we can't wait to have a lot of people come over, take pictures and connect with the artists. Yeah, we've done a lot of work. It's the, probably uh, the only airport which is a full entire gallery. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to see that actually. Amazing. So, so you see, I, I think I missed out to say this for yeah. the airport, uh, the gallery portion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. part of it. So you see the airport uh, was the vi- airport gallery was the vision of his majesty again, you know, mm-hmm. and then it was uh, the, uh, the, the task was given to Ajakarma, the founder of Vaspatan and yes. for Vaspatan um, to be able to run the gallery. So, 
the very deep thing that we did, commerce doesn't just start with, like I'm saying, if it is, if we think about it, just the intrinsic value of like exchange of uh, an artwork for a monetary value, yeah. then it it will, it will, it is not a long lasting thing at all. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So it, it is at the end of the day to be able to connect through the artwork. Somebody will relate to some work, somebody's expression. And that builds a culture, and then and, and then the commerce will happen anyway. Yep, and it's a first touch point for a visitor. The moment your feet touches, yes. Yes. it's yes. like your your soul of the feet touches the soul of the people right at the smack yes. of the airport, isn't it? Yes, yes, the air, and then as you come in, I hope people will slow down a bit, you know. Yeah, um, of course, uh, and then look around and what. The arrival has uh, lesser artworks and yeah. also be able to look up and you'll see the mandalas hanging, yes. uh, floating mandalas. Yeah. And But when you depart and, ha- and, and have an enjoyed, uh, enjoyed Bhutan, the air, the people, and as you depart, <laughs> the departure hall has 100 plus artworks for you to immerse and feel more nostalgic about Bhutan. <laughs> Yes, yes. Oh my God! You know, you you, you are tempting me, and uh, <laughs> my heart my heartstrings are getting pulled, and I'm really thinking so much about being there. But surely we'll be there, and uh, when the borders are up, all of us will be with you, united once again. So thank you, Jimmy, for being here, and uh, it's a sheer honor having you and listening to such wisdom. You know, it, it, I think a lot of it moved away from what I had initially about talking about leadership to moving into being just human. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you reflected in our conversation today. So for that, I deeply thank you and I wish you all and we done the very best in the months to come. So thank you, Jimmy. Yes, Nisha, we can't wait to have you here. Uh, connect you. with us physically, although virtual is wonderful, but nothing like uh, you're really <laughs> being connected physically and um, enjoy um, a good cup of coffee, a homemade meal with us, all right? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I do not know about the wisdom really, but um, the spirit really has given me so much time to reflect and question uh, nice. uh, myself uh, and the way we are and what where we are heading and the moment itself. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Yeah. Thank you. You take care. Bye. Bye. Dear listeners, thank you for being with us on this episode. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with another very inspiring women leader in tourism. If our episodes inspired you, please subscribe to us and leave us a review. We will appreciate your feedback and suggestions to further improve our podcast. Please share this episode with other women who want to be uplifted. I'm Nisha, your host signing off from Women We Watch in Tourism podcast. Tune in to our next episode as we showcase another very dynamic personality and powerhouse in our industry. Till then, goodbye.